I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Welcome back to See Also. I'm Brody Lancaster. I'm Kate Jinx. Happy Lunar New Year, BL. Oh my God, happy Lunar New Year, Jinxie. Are you eating anything delicious to celebrate? I haven't yet. What about you? I had some really delicious hand-pulled noodles the other night, but I all... Look, I'll be honest. I'm a white lady. It was accidental. I didn't plan it around Lunar New Year, but when I realized I was doing it on Lunar New Year, I was like, chic. Um, (laughs) My workmates and I did look up our like animal years and also like the element signs. And not only was I born in the year of the horse, uh, my sign is metal. Oh, so I'm like a little metal horse, I guess. That's cool. I would like to know my element. I don't know it. I mean, I know I'm year of the monkey, but that's it. Yeah. Mine was described, like I was described in the like metal description as being like um, Miranda Priestley from Devil Wears Prada. And I was like, I'm not sure if this is nailing me, honestly. (laughs) Something to uh, work into. Yeah. Another goal for the year. (laughs) How are you going with your with your goals? Oh, you know, okay. I'm really on the like fitness goal at the moment, which is so boring, but I'm trying very hard to be 
thrilled about it. No, um, I like it. It's not boring. You know, walking everywhere and like booking myself into yoga and working out my gym and pool days and blah, blah, blah. It's great. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's got to happen. We got to move these rickety old sacks. <laughs> I'm speaking only for myself. We sure do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But so I'm just, you know, focusing on that a little bit. What about you? Um, I went for a swim yesterday. End of list. End of goals. Was it good? Yeah, it was really nice, actually. And it was so nice to feel the water. Yeah, it's just nice to be in a body of water. I plan to do much more of it over the next couple of weeks. This episode is coming out, like, on the eve eve of my birthday. Um, so I'm having a little Aquarius end of January. Do you know what? I don't know many Aquarians. I know, like, a couple uh, – I'm very good friends with, like, two Aquarians. Mm. Me and Harry Styles. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you know what? It's like a, it's a mystery element to me. Yeah. We're pretty mysterious and um, annoying, I think, is the vibe. <laughs> I mean, I don't really do astrology, which I'm always told is a really Aquarian thing to say. And I did see a clip on Instagram the other day that was like Aquarius vibes. And it had a video of um, a woman who... I guess it's from that show How To with John Wilson, which I've actually never watched, but it's a woman kind of standing up and going, like, where is all the stuff in the internet? Like, where is it? Where is it? Is it like in crystals? Like, where is it stored? And I was like, wow, this is the first time I've seen like an astrological meme and been like, yeah, I feel represented by this. Yeah. Yeah. What's your, what's your rising? We've got some Capricorn in there. Mm-hmm. Um, every time anyone asks me this, I have to search text between me and my friend Emily because I've had to tell her a couple of times. It's mostly Capricorn-y. Okay. Yeah. What's that mean? Capricorns love a sense of order. Tick. They are relatively stubborn. Tick. <laughs> they really get things done and don't back down on that. Imagine if you were just describing me yeah. and you were like, I guess so. Loves to wear green, <laughs> has a white cat named Carol. Um, is a bit cunty. Um, <laughs> I mean, Capricorns can be. Yeah. But we all can be. We all can be. I mean, look, I'm a Leo with Gemini rising in a Gemini moon. So, I mean, people get scared of the Gemini that sounds aspect. Like, sounds like a bitchy trio. <laughs> it truly is. And I'm into it. I'm into it. How was your weekend, Jinxie? was cute. Well, I saw you. Yeah. We recorded an upcoming poodle. I'm so excited about this one. Yeah, me too. It was a really fun discussion. Mm-hmm. What else? On Sunday afternoon, I did not go to the pool. I did not fulfill any fitness goals, but I went to Abbotsford Convent and had a little spritz in the afternoon. It was delightful. Gorgeous. Was At Cam's. At Cam's. Truly the best place to do it. Yeah. So that was nice. And um, I finally got around to, it's Sundance season, so I finally got around to watching a film that came out about a year ago on Netflix. What is it? <laughs> really great use of my time. I <laughs> know uh, I watched Do Revenge on Saturday night because I needed, I was at home, I'd been working a lot and needed a bit of a brain in a hammock vibe as we discussed in our first pod of the year. Yeah. That is something to aspire to or just something that we all need yeah. every so often. Take it out, put it away. Yeah, pop that little thing in a little hammock, give it a swing. And so I watched Your Revenge. I am very intrigued by Maya Hall. Yeah, me too. Her voice. I mean. I her- haven't watched The Stranger Things, but. <laughs> Those Stranger Things, they just keep happening. They keep getting stranger and stranger. I'm, I am intrigued by Maya. 
Yeah, I mean, like, fucking cool parents, Nepo baby, whatever, I don't care. She's cool. We love herself for a Nepo baby. Oh, it's fine. It's all, it's all they need to be. Yeah, exactly. It's so fine. She's like, yeah, help me. Yeah. Here I am. You know, I enjoyed her performances in Stranger Things and a couple of other things. I mean, she was in she was in that Tarantino, wasn't she? Wasn't she, like, one of the Manson girls? Was she? Oh, she was like part of the Manson. Huh. I guess I didn't country. notice her when I did my Austin Butler inspired rewatch. Mm. Well, I think she was. I'm not going to look it up because I can't be buzzed. But uh, yeah, anyway, I watched it and it was like, you know, everyone was talking about it about eight, six to eight months ago. And yeah. I think I felt really contrary about it at the time. So stupid. But I think Same. I was like, yeah, whatever. I don't care about this stupid thing. <laughs> I don't have to watch everything. Exactly. Uh, But you know what? It was really fun. I've been saying since you told me that it was really fun that I'm going to – also you've brought it up several times since you watched it, so I think you really did love Do Revenge. I wouldn't say – you wouldn't use the L word on it, but um, it was – I think it was much better than I expected it to be. Sure. I mean, it's really wearing its clueless love and heart on its, um, like, you know, princess puff sleeve. Sure. But it is fun. Like, it knows what it's doing. There was one moment during the makeover and the goal of the makeover was your new vibe is high status cunt. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's good. Okay. All right, I like Just it. when I think I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we love. We love. Um, speaking of Nepo babies, I read an article on Gorka on the weekend. It thrilled me. I think I put it on Twitter and said, finally, some real journalism. <laughs> like <laughs> someone addressing the real crisis. Um, Olivia Craighead on Gorka wrote a piece about how Big Vogue is still trying to push the Brooklyn Beckham and Nicola Peltz agenda, which I'm real. I'm just, someone had to say it because every other month there's an article about these two boring rich kids who got married and took each other's names. He's Brooklyn Peltz Beckham Mm -hmm. and she's Nicola Peltz Beckham. Yeah. Great. They've got nothing to say to each other. He's so dull. She's beautiful and looks incredible in any outfit. This the whole premise of this video and article is that they put on a different outfit. It's like what what we wear in a week. And he looks truly terrible in everything. Like he can't he can't wear clothes. Well, I sent you a pic the other day in a DM of <laughs> Maine Beckham. What's David. his name? David Beckham. <laughs> Beckham Senior. It's like Daddy Beckham. He he stood in line to meet the Queen and he doffed his cap and he said, thanks, madam. Well, he was saying this to some guy and I was like, who is this little shit? And you were like, I actually don't know. Probably one of the other kids. One? There's Brooklyn, there's Romeo, there's Cruz. That was probably Cruz. Oh, he looked like a Cruz. And then there's Harper, who's mummy's favourite. Oh. Also, speaking of Sundance. New York Mag sent out a um, a newsletter earlier this week of like a recap of Sundance parties, and Meredith Marks was mentioned several times. <gasps> was she? Yeah. As was the Queen of Sundance, of course. Lisa. Lisa Barlow has been all over my Instagram feed, but probably not in the way that she would want during Sundance time. Mm-hmm. For those unaware, Lisa Barlow, a Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, was introduced as the Queen of Sundance. 
Um, I think she put on like one tequila event for something. Like it was like some activation yeah. that happened once in <laughs> Park City in while Sundance was on. <laughs> so the Instagram account Getty Images Fan Club, which I really love, has dug up all these photos. They, they're doing a carousel and the first one will be a photo of a celebrity. Say, for example, Ben Affleck posing, modeling, Getty Images. Mm. The next photo is Ben Affleck and Lisa Barlow. <laughs> Oh my god! And then they did it with Ben Affleck, and then also Richard Kind. And so the caption was Richard Kind with Carol Burnett and Lisa Barlow. So the first photo is Richard Kind and Carol Burnett, and the second one is Richard Kind and Lisa Barlow. Wow, she's being trolled. It's really good, but yeah, the Park City Confidential Party Report from New York Mag talks about how Sundance is just an it means that a jock city full of like snowboarders is overrun by nerds who want to talk about directors. <laughs> and they saw Meredith Marks and her husband Seth came to like a vulture party to try La Mer hand creams. There's tension in the air because it's only two days into where Grace with the presence of Lisa Barlow. And then the writer went to Meredith Marks's party held in her store. And there was a bit of a scoop because as well as saying that the coat check is just to put your own coat on the rack next to the ones she has for sale. <laughs> Their Cosmos are being served out of Meredith Marks branded cups. Mm-hmm. And the little swag bags have stickers that say, buy a thread with Meredith and Seth. No. I ask someone working the event if it's a podcast and she says, it's not yet, but they're planning on releasing it soon. Oh God, it's just like Heather releasing the cover of a book, but not actually the book. Totally. They've made merch before they've made the thing. They are not good at following a timeline, these women. Calling a podcast that you make with your husband by a thread, as in hanging on, very dark shit. I mean, it seems about right. I do watch the show. (laughs) Once she stuck a toe in his taint it was all over (laughs) god um i just realized why i'm a bit fuzzy on what i did on the weekend it's because i went to the opening of the new the first play in the new mtc season which was sunday and I really enjoyed uh, a few too many champagnes at that opening party. You did. A little <laughs> dusty. But, yeah, it was really lovely to be there and I'm really excited about that whole season. It's the first season under uh, the artistic director, Anne Louise Sarks. Love her work. The first play that she is directing in the season is coming up in March called Bernard Hamlet and I'm really excited to see that. Oh, cool. Yeah. I can't wait. So that was exciting, a nice little theatrical outing. I had a little theatrical outing of my own. Yes, what was that? I went to Boiler Room on Saturday. <laughs> yes, I think one and the same. You were sampling some champagnes. So Hobnobbing with society. Just deep in the scene, you know. <laughs> the theatrical scene of Melbourne, same crowd. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same crowd. Yeah, me and um, me and friend of the pod, podcast theme composer Harvey Sutherland and I went down to Williamstown, which accidentally I called Williamsburg a couple of times. Very embarrassing. Uh, yeah, our friend Colette was making her Boiler Room debut. Uh, her set is online and would highly recommend checking it out. And it was just fun to go and like support a pal, um, be amongst very, very young people. Um, and then we went <laughs> if home. they're young to you. Yeah. They are fetuses to me. Yeah, it's baffling. Look, Mike <laughs> and I were a little shell-shocked um, just from – 
just from being quote unquote amongst it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just needed to come home and be in the quiet of my apartment with my cat and my dinner. Think about your life. And go to bed. <laughs> go to bed after a big day at Boiler Room for 1.5 hours. Oh, I can't even imagine. I cannot imagine. I wasn't asleep while the event was still going. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it's fine. Hmm. It's good, actually. <laughs> hey. Oh, it's I, great. It sounds I, cool. Sounds I fun. actually came home and finally watched um, Halloween Ends. Okay. And fucking insane psycho movie, but it did give me a lot of joy to imagine Christopher Guest going to watch it with his wife, Jamie Lee Curtis, who at one point says, um, you know, after being haunted by Michael Myers for 40 years, Jamie Lee Curtis's character says at the start of the movie while she's making pumpkin pie that sometimes you just need to rip open your shirt and show grief your tits and say, come at me, fucker, or something with like two middle fingers up. And I was like, what on earth is this movie? I actually just unfollowed Jamie Lee Curtis on Instagram because I just couldn't take the massive updates anymore. The updates and also the like reposting of like anything she sees and likes. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine when Amy Sedaris does it. Yeah. Yeah. I love those. Look, you do what you got to do for your own internet hygiene, you know, and sometimes it means unfollowing. Well, I'm just copying you from uh, the beginning of the year. I did so much unfollowing today. Yeah. Well, Jamie Curtis has got to go. I'm make, so sorry. Make your Instagram feed a boring place to be. And Jamie Lee, she's too interesting. <laughs> she's got too much going on. You have a big, exciting trip coming up. Well, you do too. You're off to Sydney. I'm going to Sydney. You're going to freaking Berlin. Same diff, but you know, Berlin in Feb and Sydney in Feb, very different things. True. Very different places. Sydney gorge, 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 summery, (laughs) coastal. How do you describe Berlin in Feb? Oh, frosty. Oh, icy. Yeah. I mean, there, we will get into tar soon, but there was a great guide to tar's look, uh, that was called like frigid bitch winter. Oh yeah. 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 That's Berlin for me. That's you next month. That's me <laughs> in my turtlenecks and my shirts over the top, as I like to do. It's Kate Jinx directed by Todd Field. <laughs> I can't wait to see her. Yeah, I am excited about going to Berlin. It'll be really fun. Yeah. How do you say chic in German? Oh, I can only say one thing in German. What is it? Ich habe einen Pudel. What does that mean? I have one poodle. <laughs> That's the only thing I can say. All right. It's time. It's the tar episode. Yeah, it's part two in our Probo Blondes (laughs) series. See also series on problematic blondes. Last week, Megan, Mithrigan. This week, tar. They both ruin lives in different ways. How are we going to say, are we going to say tar or do we, I mean, natural inclination is to say tar. Yeah. I find myself when I talk about it, which is regularly uh, since seeing it, I flick between the two. It's tar. There's a, there's a harder R there than um, than I naturally would say, I think. Mm, tar. You can't say tar because then it's- Tar. Thank you. Tar. Tar doll. Tar. Oh, tar. Oh, tar. <laughs> Go on. Avatar. That's a fun joke I like to make about going to the movies it's in January. <laughs> Well, I can. I think it's safe to say that we're both pretty obsessed with with Todd Field's tar. Yeah, it's happened to us, and we. I think we had a really joyous time in the cinema seeing this, which is a weird thing to say about such a 
such a dark claustrophobic kind of film. It sure is. But uh, Jinxie and I just ran into the cinema together, yeah. sat down, tar happened to us, and then like <laughs> that sounds really bad. Two and know? a half hours later, we stumbled out into the night. Yeah, and we just have not stopped talking about it since. No, we have not, or thinking about it, or reading about it. No, it's funny. My friend Angus saw it the other night, and he just texted me straight after, going, "I've been tar pilled." <laughs> <laughs> he loved it. I've been tarred and feathered. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so where to start with this? All right. Let's set a little bit of a, a guide for our listeners. As with Megan, we are going to do a broad, spoiler-free conversation about the movie Tar, which is finally out in Australian cinemas as of January 26th, I think. Yeah, it's always weird for a a film to be released on Invasion Day, but there you go. Really bizarre of Kate to do that personally. (laughs) Um, But then... I don't think she controls it. Mm, she controls a lot of things in this movie. She, she keeps sure time, as she told us. And then we will play a little noise when we're about to merge into spoiler territory. This is that noise to listen out for. And then just check the show notes in the episode description of the podcast app you're listening on. It will tell you when to fast forward to so that you can catch the also's at the end of the episode. Great. 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 Oh, Tar. I mean, I mean, look, I do love Kate Blanchett in this kind of a role, uh, like power top, basically. Yeah. She's menacing and controlling and that's one hell of a big performance. It's a performance from top to bottom. Like everything about Lydia Tarr, the composer, the EGOT winner, um, as we come to know her, is a performance in some way, you know, and we we learn that from very early on. She's kind of standing off stage about to be introduced to a Q&A audience who, you know, her accomplishments are being rattled off and she's kind of, she has kind of like little nervous tics. We're seeing how her style has come to be. Mm-hmm. We're seeing how everything about her is like a very, very deliberate choice. Oh, very deliberate. The kind of person she wants to be. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's not all coming naturally. No. Or is it? We don't know, <laughs> truly. There was a great description of uh, Tar uh, by Wendy Ige, the Guardian film critic, was in a capsule review. There's two, like Peter Bradshaw gave it five stars and then Wendy Ide gave it five stars, both for The Guardian UK. But uh, Wendy Ide said, Tara is magnificent. At the same time, she's a monster, a capricious narcissist who charms a series of young women, all rising stars in classical music, who subsequently find their careers stymied when they fly too close to the blistering heat of her self-regard. Ooh. It's good. Yeah, really good. Well done, Wendy Hyde. Well done, Wendy. You described this as like a litmus test kind of film. Yeah, I think it's my first big litmus test film for at least the decade, but I was like, century? I don't know. I've lost track. Ever? I mean, it's really one of those films where I think if you really didn't like it, I don't know how much I can trust your opinion on things. Or even if you didn't, if you just wrote it off. Yeah, if you wrote it off. Like there are a lot of people because it's streaming, I think, in the States now and it's not in cinemas in Australia but it's streaming overseas. Mm. Uh, I think it's on like Apple in in the US and people are like 
giving live blogs on Twitter of like, oh, I don't know, the first scene's a bit boring. Should I continue? Should I stick with this movie? And I think it's movie? more that attitude, not like if you didn't like the film. Because if you didn't like the film, that's fine. Subjective, blah, 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 blah. Mm. But that kind of, oh, it's pretentious. I think it's like when people just pass it off as being a pretentious film, I find I have no time for that. Absolutely, because it's it's that idea of like I have to like the character or I have to see some reflection of me in these characters. But also, yeah, on the the idea of pretension, it's like, Watching that opening sequence where Adam Gopnik from The New Yorker is playing himself in a fictionalized version of the New Yorker Festival, interviewing Lydia Tarr on stage in front of a devoted audience of fans, that scene, like Kate Blanchett is playing the role of a deeply pretentious person who has memorized their lines, who has kind of recited these like quippy off the cuff, quote unquote, jokes so many times before she has designed herself to be a pretentious person. And it's very interesting to like watch a character like that. Absolutely. I mean, the world of classical music and international conductors, I mean, it's a higher kind of world. It is not something many of us uh, live in day to day, should we say. Or are interested in necessarily. Like I'm not going in with like incredible knowledge on like the – like Marla's fifth, you know, like. Oh, I was. Yeah, like you learn all about it. But yeah, um, yeah, I think it's pretension is part of the point. Absolutely. I think where I've settled on Tar after thinking about it and like having so much fun thinking about it, which is also like yes. what a treat of a movie. Yes, that is the thing. It's like this is the first, also the first film, sorry to cut you off, this is the first film in a while where both of us have been sending each other like spoilery things and interviews and like interviews with the costume designer and critics going that ending. Don't worry, we're not talking about the ending yet, but like, what does it actually mean? And that is so fun as a viewer because we don't, I don't know, like you and I don't have that very often. Mm. It's like, we both really enjoyed Megan, but I'm not reading all about like what happens in like one hour, 30 seconds in Megan, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm not analyzing no. Mithrigan the way I am to R. Exactly. Um, I think where I've settled on it after all this thinking and thinking about the pretension and the, the quote unquote high versus low art, you know, is that it's like, it's a film about ego and power, but it's also a way, it's also about the way that like quote unquote high culture it forms a shield that in itself is kind of pretentious around like monstrous people. Mm. You know, there's no way to criticize someone like a Lydia Tarr at the top of their game. But then also the way the public views people with power and cultural cachet versus the ways the people in their world view them, because that's a real distinction with Lydia Tarr is the way that her fans see her and fawn over her versus the way that the people she works with kind of look at her out of the corner of their eyes or her assistant looks Mm. at her and and regards her or her wife, you know, the people who actually know her. And when that shield comes down, like what's left is kind of a just ego, just raw ego and narcissism and like performance. Yeah. All the hubris, like it is. Yeah. 
yes. filed on. Yeah. Yeah, the performance is large. Like Blanchett's performance is a big one. Oh, yeah. And I think it perfectly suits this role, this very performative person that uh, Lydia Tarr believes herself to be. Mm. I, I think, you know, it was getting kind of maligned as a easy kind of takedown of cancel culture or a comment on cancel culture. And I think it is just so much more than the idea of yawn cancel yawn culture, you know, yeah. like it's really talking about, and it, I mean, of course she is a woman in this position of power who is like accused of groomings, yeah, like some, yeah. some kind of, we don't ever really find out too much of the details, but that she has had inappropriate relations with uh, younger, younger women in the industry yeah, who she has potentially been quote unquote mentoring. And I don't know the idea that it's just this kind of simplistic story about cancel culture is, I don't know, like it's just missing it for me. And there have been multiple male conductors who have had to leave their roles because they actually have been accused and been found guilty and blah, blah, blah in recent times. Mm. I hate that thing where people go like, yeah, but what if you just switch the genders? (laughs) I hate that so much. So simplistic. But I think that it is, I don't know, it like creates this kind of interesting look at like a woman in this position of power and what she has done to get there and what she's grappling with and how she has completely disappeared into her own, yeah, hubris. Her own myth-making. Yes. Yeah. There's like, you know, like when we first meet her on stage at the New Yorker Festival, she describes herself as like, the keeper of time, you know, like as a conductor, she, have we even mentioned she's a conductor yet? That's like the the main thing people know about Tar. That's the image. Yeah. Yeah. She, um, that she's kind of can manipulate time. She can like bend it to her will. Um, and I kept coming back to that thinking about it more recently, like preparing to talk about it with you. Um, and the way that that kind of, you know, Kate Blanchett in describing this film in press, she talks about like, it's about a character whose past catches up with her. And I feel like Tar also has this idea in the Tar, the character, um, there's like this broader question that she's trying to answer for herself is about influencing your past, whether you can like rewrite your past or like get away from it. Mm. And you immediately understand upon meeting her that her ego is so huge that she truly believes that she that she is above it. She is above a force like time and like memory, you know, that she can yeah. she can change the rules and everyone will just agree to what she says. Yeah, very much so, to the point where I don't think she's thinking, will I get away with it? Can I get away with it? It's just like it's just her life. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's no one is coming up against her, no one is saying otherwise mm. um, or she doesn't know about it. They yeah. are, but she doesn't know. Yeah. Todd Field, who is just brilliant and also, like, side note, the tar press tour of just Kate Blanchett and Todd Field rolling around, answering questions, talking to each other. Hanging out in the Criterion closet. The fucking Criterion mm, closet. Love that. Such a joy. Todd Field, a.k.a. Nick Nightingale, the piano player from Eyes Wide Shut, um, <laughs> his NBR interview, the way that he described it, um, the film, he said, in many ways it's a fractured fairy tale. There's never been a single woman who's held the principal conductor post of a major German orchestra. 
I wanted to tell this story where the fact that the character was a female was simply a given, but this character very much downplays her identity and her gender for her own selfish reasons. She wants to be judged on her own merits, but there's something she's not talking about, which is vitally important. She's essentially operating within the same parameters of, as any of the patriarchy that came before her. Mm. Lydia Tar, the character who does not know when International Women's Day is. I love that. It's such a good moment. <laughs> it's so good. She's operating under the exact same patriarchal rules and she she wants to use them in the same way that every man who's come before her has used them. The way that she, you know, talks about labels and how no one should want any labels and we should all be moving past that to like her young students at Juilliard in such a ridiculous, aggressive way. Is just because she wants to or believes she just uh, exists above that. They yeah. don't. They don't matter to her. They don't matter to her. So, like, why do they matter to anyone else? It's quite funny in that there's a scene. This is not. It's in the trailer. There's a scene where she is teaching these students at Juilliard, and there is one student, Max, who's like described describes themselves as pan gender bipoc student, mm-hmm. and Max, you know, doesn't like bark because. Bark was a misogynist and Lydia finds that so disdainful to her Mm. and really goes on this rampage about it and, you know, about doing away with labels and what are you being judged for? And it's very like art, separating out from the artist kind of thing. Fully. But in it she describes herself as a U-Haul lesbian to try to reach (laughs) this character of Max like on a queer level, like – she is pulling out her, you know, lesbian card to try to rap with the kids. To try to be like, <laughs> if I get it, why can't you? But this woman has never driven a U-Haul in her goddamn <laughs> life. Uh, like it is so funny that she, like it's this other bit of performance where she's just trying to, like she's trying to, I don't know, be relatable in some way. Yeah, you're it's so very funny. right. I didn't think of it in that way, but you're so right. Like she... Some part of her past, she knew the term U-Haul lesbian. Mm. And then when she ascended to like the tiers of like German conducting and orchestral supremacy, she was like, I've never driven in my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Like, but there's this like tiny moment of self-deprecation, like, and we never really see it again. Oh, no, 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 no. She has this one assistant who is with her for most of the film, Francesca, played by <sighs> Nomi Melant, who everyone knows from Portrait of a Lady on Fire. The painter of the titular portrait. Exactly. <laughs> this, apart from Portrait of a Lady on Fire, is the best movie I think that she has been in, the best role. Uh, she's picked some really funny films. I love Naomi's little face. Yes. Well, she's great in this. Those dark brows. Communicate so much. <laughs> and I love Nina Hoss, who plays her wife, uh, Sharon. Sharon. Sharon, who's like first violinist. And uh, I don't know if I've ever seen Nina Hoss in anything, but like she wasn't familiar to me. But then in every interview with the cast about the film, they've all been like, you know, the honor to work with Kate Blanchett and of course Nina Hoss. And I'm like, oh fuck, I've got some catching up to do on She's Nines. a big European star. Sure. She um I know her mostly from her work with the director Christian Petzold. I really love his films. I particularly love her in the film Barbara. 
That's okay. a good place to start, I reckon. Okay, great. Thank you. But yeah, she's just brilliant. And the relationship is so good between the two of them. It's just this very believable, slightly older lesbian relationship, like these married women with a child who have sort of drifted somewhat apart. Mm. Scene where we first see Sharon when uh, Tar comes home in Berlin and comforts her kind of, you know, it's just I just really felt like, oh, that's just so believable. I can really see this. It's almost giving like um, the first, the famous first episode of Mad Men where you see Don Draper out doing his escapade, sleeping with women, blah, blah, blah. And then at the very end of the episode, you see him go home to his wife and children. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't start out with, wow, we finally started talking about Mad Men on this show, BL. That is funny. (laughs) Genuinely. Um, He starts out with Midge, that character, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a good character she was. He loves a brunette. Mm, Don't we all? But yeah, I, I really love that. But okay, the fashion. We need to talk about the fashion. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. I've bought five pairs of pants since I saw Tar. <laughs> I don't think it's a coincidence. I also need to buy a steamer now because I can't be crumpled if I'm going to be Lydia. You do need to buy a steamer. Yeah. That should have been my also also this week, but maybe next week. You gave it to me off mic. You <laughs> told me to get one and now I'm going to get one. Yeah. I mean, I love her look. Every single item in Lydia Tar's wardrobe is impeccable. Like perfectly tailored. We we see in the opening moments of the film, you know, her tailor has her measurements on file. Um, Everything is made to measure. But also there's there's an element of kind of – it's almost like how Steve Jobs wore the same thing every day, you know, like Mm. taking away the choice so that all the creativity is just there. There's no decision-making in her wardrobe. Yes, Steve Jobs, Elizabeth Holmes, Lydia Tarr. Equals. (laughs) Equals. <laughs> I mean, two of them are yeah, well. ones to worry about. Lydia would never have those split ends. Oh, no. No. Never. She might go to prison, though. There is a really great piece. <laughs> she might. There's a really, that's not a spoiler. Uh, there's a really great piece in uh, W Magazine, a fantastic interview with uh, Bina Daigler, who is the costume designer, talking about how she put the looks for all of the main characters, so Lydia and Francesca and Sharon, Mm -hmm. and how they each have very different looks. But she talks about how she wanted Lydia Tarr to come across and how she spent like almost all of the budget on one coat by the row. And it makes all the difference. Which you need. Makes all the difference. Lydia needed to be wearing the row. Yeah, she is the row. Francesca is like Studio Nicholson. And I can't remember who she was dressing. Oh, it's maybe like Sharon's in like Yoji. Like it's a bit more flowy. She's got some pleats. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't really notice it because I've only seen it properly once. But and something I really want to look at when I'm seeing it again, and I cannot wait to see it a second time properly in the cinema, um, that most of the pieces in the film were custom made for Kate Blanchett, of course. So when we first meet her, she is this ex- impeccably put together woman. She's wearing luxury clothes that have no brands visible, right? Yeah. Very important, very luxurious New York Berlin look. Everything looks and feels expensive, but you oh, don't know where it's from. Sure does. But then as the film goes on, she you know, she's having some difficulties here and there and she looks a little more tussled, only very slightly, but her shirts become like a bit more untucked or they Mm. become a bit looser. 
And so the draping of her clothes actually changed throughout the film to show this sort of unraveling of sorts of this character, which I think is just, is really, is really fab. Mm. Um, But yeah, there is, I mentioned before, there is this other great uh, piece in the cut that is called Your Guide to Frigid Bitch Winter, courtesy of Lydia Tarr. And it tells you how to get that Lydia Tarr look, which we'll link in the show notes. Oh, that Lydia Tarr look. Because, yeah, beyond the beyond just the clothes themselves, like the aesthetics of everything Kate Blanchett is doing in this performance are just incredible. Like the physicality of Lydia Tarr, she's like all angles. Kate Blanchett's face feels different somehow. Like it feels more angular, more harsh. Um, she but, has a lot of physical tics as well. Yeah, she's she's so sensitive to sound. It's one of the first things you see. She's kind of like touching the hair and the, you know, her face around her ear. Um, and her hands are like always in every shot, always moving around, always fluttering. doing something. Yeah. At one point, she goes in for a meeting with someone who like is always clicking his pen. And as he walks in front of her, she just grabs the pen off the desk and like hides. <laughs> yeah. The deliberate aesthetics of it. They're all everything is so chic. The way that this film opens. <laughs> Yes. You know, she's she's composing Marla's fifth. And so there's this beautiful bound notebook with the Roman numeral for five. There's her very precise, specific, I don't know if they're black wing pencils, like her pencil that she uses to compose. They take in a Marla record to the tailor who custom makes, you know, an identical version of the shirt he wore on the record. And then later she's getting her portrait taken and, you know, the portrait photographer is showing all these. <laughs> this film is a, a straight up a comedy. Also, oh, it is, we it is really that. funny. But the, the, the photographer is sliding through some examples of portraits he's taken clearly of just female musicians. And it'll be like a hot brunette, like really vampy with her tits out in like a jacket, um, holding a, like sexily holding a violin or something. <laughs> And then she'll go, oh, you know, like, what does Tar say? It's something like, oh, let's do something kind of less considered, less <laughs> less purposeful, and then poses exactly the same way Marla does on the cover of the record <laughs> in the shirt she had made to look like his, like, and that to her is just, just an accident, just a casual portrait. Less considered. Yeah. That's the thing. This film is so funny. We were hooting in the cinema. Oh, it's a riot. Like it knows it's pretentious. It, it's very, it's very self-conscious film. Yes. Tom yes. Fields made a beautiful comedy for yeah. our time. Yes, absolutely. And and everyone in it completely understands what it is. Yeah. I, my mouth was agape <laughs> through much of this film, which is just so great. Um, and every element of it is is so considered just like Tar uh, herself. But I was listening to an interview with Todd Field on WTF with Mark Marin. Don't judge me. If you want to get to the tar stuff, skip to one hour and six minutes. <laughs> I'm not even joking to you, but it's worth it. It's worth it because he talks about. Uh, what is it before that? Like Kubrick. Kubrick was one of your guys. No, it's like I did comedy in like in Maine where you live. What's Tom Cruise like? Was he, was he, you know, him and Nicole, they were your guys. <laughs> yeah. And when Todd Field mentions that um, the composer of the film Hilda Gonadottia, who that she won, she's the only female composer to have won an Oscar, uh, which she won for Joker. And of course, my parents like, right. I was in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I 
like you just can't wait, can't wait to get in. Anyway, oh my God. Todd Field is talking all about um, Hilda Guanadotia and her work on the film and what she brought to it. And she brought tempos to all the characters. And so she, so they worked out that Lydia's on 120 beats per minute. And then she made these, you know, compositions for the characters to listen to. So they knew how to like walk and how to speak. And yeah, it's really interesting. So fascinating. And it's not something Todd Field thought of. Yeah. Like it's something that she just brought into the film. It's like, it seems like a really pretty wonderful collaboration. And that is something that is kind of, he makes very visible from the opening moments of this film. Like usually when you go in to see something in the cinema, it has, you know, the producers names in the studio and maybe the lead actors and the director and the film starts. And then at the end you get everybody else who made the film production work. And Todd Field made this really very specific artistic choice in like the opening of Tar to play the entire end credits in reverse before the film starts, which it speaks volumes about the people responsible for art to be made before we go in and spend two and a half hours in the company of someone who was like, I alone make the art happen. (laughs) Absolutely. It is me. There's so many good interviews around with Todd Field, not just that WTF one, but there is an excellent one in The New Yorker by Michael Schulman. uh, And it talks all about like what he's been doing for the last 30 years because he's only made two, three films now. And uh, he said that he spent a year writing a political thriller with Joan Didion and that she kept regular hours and there was certain hour where pencils were down, which I think is rule to live by. Inspiring, Joan. Uh, And that film was intended for Blanchette, but no studio offered a worthwhile budget because the protagonist was a woman. This is a movie by Joan Didion, Judd Field starring Kate Blanchett and nobody wanted it. (laughs) And a political thriller at that. Come on. People are such fucking losers. Losers. Also- it's not a film starring a woman. It's a film starring Petra's father. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What a great scene. She is so – Lydia Tart is so menacing. She's so awful. What a horrible character. Like, just a really awful, awful human. Yeah. Like, straight up bad bad person. There's a reason why she and Megan o- occupy the same kind of, like, mental space for us, mental and emotional space, is neither of them – are scared to torment children. No, they're not. Oh, God, it's so good. It's delightful. It's so good. I, I don't want to say it because if you haven't seen it, it's Me like, neither. Oh, gosh, it's so good. <laughs> I feel like we're close to veering into our spoiler moment, but before we do, we are two people who love a 90-minute movie. The runtime of Tar is much bigger, but it flies by. And I learned that Todd Field, when he finished the screenplay, he wrote a note at the front. Oh no, the screenplay is available to read online. I haven't read it yet, but this is just secondhand information that he wrote a note at the front of the screenplay that says, based on the script's page count, it would be reasonable to assume that the total running time for Tar would be well under two hours. However, this is not a reasonable film. If you are mad enough to greenlight this film, be prepared for one whose necessary length represents these practical accommodations. And then Focus Features gave him zero notes on the script. Wow, lucky. This is not a reasonable film. (laughs) I'm just so glad that this wasn't made by a streamer. 
Truly. Because it could imagine? have been because that's where people are giving money and like not maybe not a lot of notes to kind of auteur filmmakers. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it would I'm have glad. been Tar up on that stage being like, I am Lydia Tar. <laughs> I have an EGOT. <laughs> <laughs> One thing before we get into spoiler territory, they want to share there are a lot of silly comedic accounts that people have made for like there's Lydia Tar on Twitter, etc. But there was one kind of funny thing uh, in Vulture. It's called True Facts About Lydia Tar. And number 35 was particularly amusing. It was Tar has not seen Nanette, but she read a New Yorker profile and does not approve because I don't listen to anyone who studied art history in Australia. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. The um the people who went into Tar thinking it was truly a biopic of a real life conductor is one of my favorite <laughs> kind of like phenomena to come out of this movie. It's that's good. Yeah. All right. Are we gonna play the noise? Here's the noise. Okay, the ending, BL, the ending. The ending of Tar. If any of you have lost your nerve, then step away now and let no one judge you. <laughs> it is such a wild ending. I wasn't expecting it. Tar on a trip. Tar doing her Anthony Bourdain, <laughs> Parts Unknown, oh Mangrove Swamp exploration. Yeah, like seriously, if you're still listening and you haven't seen it, do do skip, do work out in the show notes where you need to skip up to because you don't want this spoiled. No. You really don't. Lydia Tar does not conduct Marla's Fifth. And no, she does not. What Lydia Tar does after a certain drive to her cellist Berlin home is truly a mystery and we'll get into the kind of like supernatural elements of this film. Um, but where she ends up is in, is it Thailand? It's in a it's like a Southeast Asian country. It's yes. not, it's not, a lot of people are saying the Philippines, but okay. apparently it's meant to, we're not meant to know. We know nothing about what's going on. She is still writing her notes for her conducting. She is still going to some kind of rehearsal. She is going to get a massage and is asked to just pick a woman out of a lineup. She's doing all her Lydia Tar stuff mm -hmm. in a very different climate, but still wearing very chic linens. Yeah, she's her hair is her hair is pulled back, which is significant. Mm -hmm. And then Jinxie. Where does she go? And then she's doing a live score for a computer game where everyone is in cosplay. Monst like Monster Hunt Quest or Monster yeah, it's like Hunt? Hundreds of people are in the audience all dressed up as like these monster hunters or whatever. And she is, she's got a little earpiece mm -hmm. in her ear. She's no longer keeping time. Someone mm -hmm. else is doing it for her. Mm -hmm. And she's leading this like young orchestra through a video game score. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she has no, she's been, we've seen her writing all these notes, pouring over the material and ultimately she could stop conducting at any moment and everything would go on without her. Oh, absolutely. And also the, the idea that she, it's such a fall from grace for her that she's left, you know, Berlin, one of the big, big fives or whatever. Uh, <laughs> to, she never got to do Marla's fifth her book Tar on Tar didn't end up getting published. She probably got pulped. Yeah, probably got pulped. And now she, oh God, I wonder if there's a copy on eBay. But and now she's in an unknown Southeast Asian country doing this kind of work that she really would not um, consider to be worthy of her time. Mm. 
but still it's like she wasn't really cancelled. She's still got work. She's still being hired. She's still being like transported to the other side of the world to keep working as a, you know, living conductor. Yeah. There is an argument I've heard in people's readings of the film that, you know, when she hires that like crisis PR team and one of them says, Lydia, it's a reset that this is her reset. This is her kind of her comeback in some way. Like we look at this and go, this is the lowest that Lydia Tarr could ever go. Mm. But there is an argument to be made that like, like you said, she's still working. She's still getting booked. Her name's probably on the program. Yeah. You know, she's still worth something. And this is going to become like step one in her, her return. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I really enjoyed reading. There was a piece that I sent to you, Dan Coyce in Slate on the ending and talking about the hauntings throughout the whole film Mm. and the supernatural elements of the ending and, you know, is it all a dream kind of territory. Okay, so we're in our spoiler section now. So obviously there is a plot line that emerges that one of the women who Tar formed a relationship with, Krista, in the orchestra, then something, whatever happened to end their relationship, it's unclear. Krista sent increasingly desperate messages to Francesca and to Lydia and was ignored and ignored. And Lydia used her influence to take all of these opportunities away from Krista, truly monstrous shit. And then Krista took her own life. And that is kind of where the past catching up to Lydia Mm. occurs. It happens as she's promoting Tar on Tar, as she's getting ready to conduct Marla's Fifth, like it's fully down to the wire kind of cancelling. And it really seems like a a planned thing, not to discredit the fictional people who brought down Lydia Tar, but, you know, we see messages on the screen of people discussing her in really unkind, honest terms. There's a video of the interaction she had with Max early in the film. That recontextualizes what we have seen. Like the conversation is not what we saw. Yeah. Like it's heavily edited. Yes. So that whole shot early in the scene is I believe all shot in one take. And then what, what is released to like cancel Lydia Tarr is this like cut up kind of Frank and bited version of events that makes her seem, I mean, the video on its own made her seem like a cunt, <laughs> sure but did. when it's all chopped up, it makes her seem like, you know, a monster. Mm. And yeah, the tar, the tar cancellation kind of begins. When she is about to storm the stage, my God, what a good scene. <sighs> but you just see her feet coming off like she's squatting on a toilet bowl in like the public cubicles and like the killer in scream one exactly yes that's what i thought (laughs) yeah when it happened i was like this is scream one yeah yeah that's it oh sorry i burst your bubble because we had the same thought that's so funny (laughs) yeah you know like lydia when she's when she's kind of in the early stages of wooing or grooming Olga. She would call it one thing, we would call it another. She tells her, you know, you don't have to suffer the ghosts of the past. Mm. This is the same conversation where she orders her cucumber salad and doesn't know that March 8th is International Women's Day. <laughs> and Lydia really attempts to to ignore the ghosts from her past. <sighs> but as we learn when she returns home, Linda Tarr with two R's and no accent over the A has many ghosts. 
Yeah, and she was a field hockey champ, which is the most tiny little lesbian detailing. I just love it. That's how we know she truly did drive a U-Haul at some <laughs> at some point in her twenties. Yeah. Linda packed it up. Maybe she U-hauled over to New York. There are these moments in the film that you don't pick up the first time you've seen them, that they're is someone often in the background. So you'll see her in her apartment and there is a female figure in Mm. another room and you can only just make them out. The poltergeist (laughs) is hovering always. Yeah, that Dan Coy's piece made me want to go and watch Tara again Mm. to like spot all the things I missed the first time. You know, we, we see Lydia wake up because there's a metronome ticking somewhere in her apartment or she's out running and there's the sound of a woman screaming. And there's this question now watching it back a second time or a third time. I'm going to keep watching this film forever (laughs) of like, how, how loud were those things really? How much was it her overly sensitive hearing? How much was it her memory or like this, this feeling of being haunted because of what she's done. Mm. Yeah. It gives me very much personal shopper. Very personal shopper. I love that film. See also Olivia Asayas's personal shopper. Mm-hmm. It's also very, um, it reminded me a lot, and it's coming up a lot in, in pieces about it, uh, of Michelle Haneke's uh, cachet from 2005, which is about the surveillance of this upper middle class couple. And it's very much about like guilt and colonialism. It's a mm. fantastic film. Mm. But it has similar vibe. Yeah. There's also this recurring symbol through the film in kind of like sketches in the toys that her daughter is playing with Petra in there are like shots of people's faces with this symbol, this like maze like symbol drawn on them. The first time we see it is on the cover of a book Jinxie called Challenge by Vita Sackville West. And I remember when we came out of the cinema seeing it, you said to me like, "Mm, a bit on the nose. And I had to Google this book. I'd never heard of it. I now know a little more about the author and the book, but like, can you explain why you thought that? Like I haven't read it in a really long time, so I'm fuzzy on it, but I was just like, "Mm, yeah, I don't know. It's a bit of a obs lesbian reference, but also, I mean, the book is interesting in that it's about this, a couple essentially. And one of them, I cannot remember the like so-called like male figure in it, but it is the name, it's like Jude or John or something. And it, that is the name that Vita Sackville West sort of used for herself sometimes in sort of a, in male language. Right. But yeah, I, I, my, I'm fuzzy on the rest. You're fuzzy. Just like lesbians, there's a suicide plot. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's the book that in the film, Krista kind of like leaves for Lydia when she's staying at the Carlisle. And then there are these shots of, you know, we see them throughout the film. It's like the opening shot of the film is like through a phone screen as text messages are going back and forth over like a live video of Lydia yeah. Tarr either sleeping or it's her hotel room. It's with the hotel in there. room. It's like the hotel room with a big piano and one person says like, you still love her. And the other one says, oh, it's like Liberace. She thinks she's being ironic. Mm. Yeah. I mean, do you think it's just Francesca and, and Krista? I can't decide. I think it's absolutely Francesca because some of these scenes are places that we see Francesca in, like the Juilliard classroom. Mm. 
Francesca is always texting on behalf of Lydia Tarr or is she, you know. Well, Francesca sells her out as well. She's the one yeah. who sends all the emails. Yeah, absolutely. She Which has- we know in the film, like that's not. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, when Lydia goes to track Francesca down after she resigns, she goes to her apartment and finds the proof copy of Tar on Tar and she's scribbled on it rat on rat. Mm-hmm. So, like, Francesca has it out for Lydia. She's also We've also seen Lydia set Francesca up, give her the promise of an opportunity and then snatch it away. Yeah. So she's been treated really cruelly and she had enough ammo, you know, to do what she thought was right. This Fair makes enough. it sound like I didn't think she did what was right. Like Lydia Tarr's a v- vicious monster. <laughs> I'm not I'm not making any excuses for her. I don't want it to sound like I am. One of the questions I had about the live streaming is perhaps that it's every woman in her vicinity is kind of out to both like fuck and destroy her in, in equal measure, you know, like we see we see her interacting with this woman with a Birkin bag. I want to talk about this Birkin because I think it is the weak spot in the film. We simply got her. But we also see that's like the night that Lydia sends Francesca away from the Carlisle when she's sitting at the piano in her room. And the next day we see her arrive home in Berlin with the Birkin. So I'm like, is it? Is it that woman? Yeah, I don't know. Like that makes a certain certain kind of sense because that woman is flirting hardcore at the very Holding beginning. Holding her left hand above her face as if to show like, I'm married, yeah. I'm married, she's, but Lydia. Yeah, she says. Um, Can I text you? Yeah, she's like, it's physical and emotional for you, like about her. And then Lydia is talking about, you know, reaching some crescendo. God. Uh, and she says, like, Subtle. you can't wait to find that spot. It's like, oh, come on, ladies. We're in public. Jesus. And Francesca's like, hurry it along. Again. I'll leave a key view at the desk. Okay, let's talk about the Birkin. I fucking hated the Birkin. It's too it's Lydia would never be seen. She would not be fucking caught dead carrying an orange, like snakeskin Birkin. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I remember as being red, but it's um yeah, that Birkin is all kinds of wrong. It doesn't go with her very neutral toned. Uh, wardrobe, mm. which maybe is the point, but I feel vindicated because I have been Googling like Tar Birkin for since we saw it, waiting for someone to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But um, the costume designer and Kate Blanchett both said it was wrong, and Todd Field insisted that Lydia Tar would have a Birkin. He is wrong on that note. Todd, you don't understand her the way that we do. No, she would have a labelless luxury leather bag. She is certainly not having a Birkin. It is no. too ostentatious. It is gauche on her. She'd have like a Loewe puzzle bag or she'd have like a a slouchy kind of very worn in like Celine tote yeah. or something. Yeah. Even exactly. that's a little too gaudy for Lydia. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe Celine, Saint Laurent, you know, Balenciaga maybe. Maybe. But this is not. She'd love Balenciaga. <laughs> I don't know. Did the row do a tote? Cancelled icons. Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) But it's like like putting her in Gucci. It's not right. It's not right. Anyway, that's it. That is my one. I'll take a star off. It's the one flaw (laughs) with this film. We're not taking any fucking stars off. (laughs) Okay, we have a few see also's left. Um, We mentioned a couple of times that Dan Coyce piece in Slate about like reading Tar as a ghost story, which I think is just brilliant after you've seen the film 
to kind of get his take on it and then go and see it again. It's so fun. That really made me feel uh, a real kinship to, as I said before, Olivier SIS's personal shopper. And Dan Coyce, who wrote that piece, also has a book out. I was not familiar with him, but a a book he wrote just came out this past week. Um, So shout out to an icon. (laughs) Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I've mentioned all of the articles that, yeah, look in the show notes for the great one in W and also the funny one in the cut, but also on the Frigid Bitch Winter. But uh, I do recommend reading that Michael Shulman profile on Todd Field. It's really wonderful. It gives a pretty amazing overview of Todd Field, who is has had such a bizarre past. Do you know that his father-in-law wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Oh, whoa. Yeah. And also any goddamn interview with Kate Blanchett on this press tour oh. is slightly unhinged and quite funny. Her Hot Ones interview where she, <laughs> like at the end when she has to like look down the camera and plug whatever she's there to plug and she's recovering from eating you know, hot sauce at the time, but she looks down the camera and then goes, am I really doing this? Is is this really what's happening? I'm just going to promote myself. Um, which is great. Like who's never been on the internet before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. we mentioned before the two of them in the criterion closet, he describes himself as having busy hands. And then a second later, she like totters over and finds the movie, a man escapes. And she says, have you seen a man escapes? It's about a guy, uh, who escapes <laughs> <laughs> great it's so good my other c also is just for me because i'm going to berlin very soon and i have tracked down mm-hmm. where she goes with her mentor a couple of times i thought it was this one restaurant that i really like but it's not it's actually a cigar bar restaurant so i'm excited to be checking that out i need your highest collar I need your you know it. emptiest eyes, <laughs> you dead, know it. dead shark eyes, mm-hmm. and I need someone else to take your photo of you in that room. Okay. Ask a waiter. All right. Can do. Can do. I had to pause on it and I had like three letters to work with for the <laughs> restaurant's name and I did work it out. Despite your, uh, you know, you're not as proficient in German as Kate Blanchett is. <laughs> no. Also piano playing. Mm, you figured it out. Well, it's time for Also Also's, the bit in our show where we recommend things that potentially we haven't talked about at any other point during the show or through the podcast. BL, what's your first one? My first one, kind of inspired by you last week with the Butch Camp calendar, um, is my own calendar also. It's the day to a page calendar from Paddler's Coffee in Tokyo. I've got my first one that I wake up every morning, I rip off the day and I see, you know, what the calendar has in store for me. It's got an original artwork on every single day and they're so sweet and charming. Recently there was Beatnik Snail Day. It was a little snail with a beret and sunglasses on. I liked that one. It's very cute. I got a tip from a friend in Tokyo to order them in October. They do sell out. So this is kind of like both belated and very advanced warning. Follow Padless Tokyo so that you're informed for next time. In November, they exhibited all 365 original paintings that are featured in the calendar, which this year were done by an American artist, Raf Spielman, who, according to the Padless Coffee Instagram, runs Spielman's Bagels with his dad in Portland, quote, and is also an artist and band man, 
Okay, cute. He makes music as well as drawing really cute illustrations yeah. for my favorite calendar. I like that beatnik snail. It's really cute. I have another plan also. I've got another <laughs> calendar. If butch camp is not your thing, I get it. It's fine. Or the Ignota Diaries are your thing. <laughs> yeah, if you don't want your esoteric schedule, that's fine. I've got you if you are into poodles in costumes oh. or poodle grooming. Oh, This one is a delightful calendar called Alf, Mickey and the Other Dogs. This was sent to me by uh, dear Rosie, who also recommended, who bought me the Ignota Diary. Oh, so she knows you she's very on well. track. I bought this. She just sent it to me as like, look at this. Ha ha. And I bought it in seconds. <laughs> I click, click, clicked. It's by Daniel Gebhardt de Cook Cook. And it uses photos by Ren Netherland. And these are these, <laughs> you've probably seen some of them, these like standard poodles, so the big poodle, who little fur has been groomed and dyed to look like various things like Mickey or the clown from It or an octopus, etc. And each month has a different one. And oh. God, it is funny. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time I see it. How silly. Yeah, and he does a funny calendar each year and recent ones, and they all sell out, and recent ones were Jumping Cats and my personal favourite, Better Living with Alpacas. Chic. Mm -hmm. I have never seen these kooky poodles, just for the record. (laughs) Well, I have to share them on our Instagram because they're very silly. How many poodles do you have in German, please? Einen Poodle. (laughs) Look, sometimes they're fun, sometimes they're boring. I have a pen also. I take these pens for granted until I gave one to Jinxie the other day and she looked at what it was and then used it to write down the make and model because it truly is the best black biro you can get. Took many years of trying before I settled on the Pentel Energel BL, shout out, 107. You got to get the 0.7 width black gel pen. It's really lovely to write with. It's gorgeous to write with. It's the perfect pen. I use no other pens in my life. If I need a red pen, I get the 1.0 millimeter width, but I use them very sparingly. Okay. Get them from Officeworks. I buy like four or five every year or so. You can also get refills, which I just found out today while I was Googling it. Okay. Because I'm a Muji pen gal and I um, was impressed. Yeah, I fucking hate Muji pens. Oh, okay, all right, but only Gosh. because I've, I've, uh, you know, I've found it's you like my Lydia. Pentel. It's my Lydia Tar with my, you know, her little chiseled pencil. Well, I can recommend this pen also. Thank you. Sorry, Muji. I really do love Muji. <laughs> Uh, I have a smell also. Mm-hmm. So as we know, we both love a nice scent, and um, these are air fresheners for your car by Earl of East. I bought one when I was in London and bought one for a friend and they have lasted so well. This is like last May. So it's lasted very well. I've only just stocked up on some new ones. And I thought because Earl of East is based in London or the UK, I haven't been able to get any over here and have not wanted to spend any money on the shipping. But Inku stocked them in Australia now. Love. I have the Smoke and Musk, but I also really love the Atlas Cedar and the Shinrin Yoku. I really want to try. There's like a newish one, I think, called the Onsen scent. That sounds very you. Mm. Imagine if you were like, I have a scent also. It's an air freshener. It's called Black Ice. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you get one, 
I would recommend not opening it in the car, like open it outside of the car and maybe give it a day to, because mm. it's just, it's a little overpowering, but after a day, it's delightful. It's a lot of scent. Mm. Uh, my final one is a towel also. Bathe also. I need to be more creative with my descriptors. It's a bath towel from um, a small business in Australia called Ample Folk. It's a classic fluffy white towel. Think like hotel towel. Ooh. And it is designed for plus size bodies um, so that you can wrap yourself in a big old towel and walk around the house and not be worried about like flashing the postman or like <laughs> having a boob fall out or like spilling out of, you know, a small standard issue towel. I bought two of them and I just adore them. They keep relaunching and selling out. So there is like a real genuine audience for these. And I didn't know very much about Ample Folk, but they, I believe are in the process of making plus size fluffy, like hotel robes now, which I will be buying no matter how much they cost. And apparently the business started to kind of like design adjustable, adaptable plus size activewear, which I'm also very much interested in. Cool. Yeah. My last one is a pod also. It's Articles of Interest by Avery Truffleman. It's season three in particular. Articles of Interest, there's three seasons. It's been going for a number of years. And it sort of looks at the history of fashion and trends, etc. It's really interesting. There's quite a historical aspect to it that's really fun and interesting. But season three has one through line, one story arc, and it's about the book Take Ivy, the cult classic Japanese book, from 1965 by Teruyoshi Hayashida, essentially photographing men on the Princeton campus in their what some people would call preppy, but it's Ivy. I've listened to this podcast, so I'm starting to think about is it really preppy? Sure. Um, but anyway, it looks at how the phenomenon of this book that has been reissued, I think, five times. It wasn't originally released in English. It was only released in Japan, in Japanese, and it just sells out constantly. Those first editions are so expensive. But this looks at trends, forecasting, class, privilege, the evolution of the Ivy style and how that has come to be known as like classics or basics or a preppy kind of look. Mm. And it also takes a look at uh, Japanese fashion culture and the fascination with American vintage. It's really fascinating. Mm. I really like it. Um, And also Avery Truffleman who writes and performs it. She also publishes a sub stack with extra notes and image references for each episode. So that's really great too. She's so good. Mm, great voice. Scarlett Johansson-ish. Oh. Thanks for listening to See Also. We'd love it if you could pop over to Apple Podcasts uh, and leave a review and give us five stars. It does help us reach new people and we'd love to read what you have to say about it. And you can also follow us on Instagram at See Also Podcast. And thank you as always to Samuel Hodge for our artwork and Harvey Sutherland for our original theme music. See you next time. Bye.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.